You are listening to This World of Humans, a science podcast focusing on the interface of biology and social science, coming to you from the podcast recording studio at John Jay College in New York City. For more information about today's topic, visit visionlearning.com slash T-W-O-H. Hello, you are listening to This World of Humans, a science podcast dedicated to exciting new discoveries at the interface of biology and social science. Here we explore the biggest of all big questions. Why are we the way that we are? I'm Nathan Lentz, and today we're discussing some interesting results published in the Journal of Social Science and Medicine regarding the connection between our health and labor policies regarding work-family balance. Now, probably no one will be surprised to learn that helping employees care for their family obligations would help them stay in good health, but that is not what I mean. This new research has found that our health can be affected by the labor conditions of our healthcare workers. We have Professor Grace Sembajwe from the CUNY School of Public Health here with us today. She is one of the authors of this interesting study, and hopefully she can help us make sense of it all. Welcome, Professor. I'm so happy to have you here with us. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So what I like about this study is that it shows treating people well is a good outcome for a business. It's a good outcome for a customer, or in this case, a patient. And you have healthcare workers, which, which are really the most important people at certain times of our lives. We rely on healthcare workers so much. And... Uh, when we tell them that we're not going to be flexible with their needs at home, why would we want to treat these people who are very vulnerable uh, anyway to to these practices that are going to make things worse for them? So first off, I want to ask the most basic of questions. What made you think that there might be a connection between family policies at a healthcare facility and the quality of patient care from that facility? Um, we noticed for the most part that when uh, workers, not just in healthcare, but across the board, um, had to deal with family members and the uh, scheduling that they had at their own work site, that it really did implicate some of the productivity, some of the, you know, even interrelationships at work with the uh, management teams. Um, and so as we started to see that and we started to look at healthcare workers specifically, um, we realized that there really wasn't much information out there about workers, families, and the interface with patient care. You know, most of this work, when you talk about work-family conflict, you know, is focused on office workers, Mm -hmm. you know, white-collar workers. And what we noticed was that the most affected and the most vulnerable were those who we often refer to as blue-collar workers, low-wage workers, precarious workers, the ones who often had really... Um, immense responsibilities at home um, and were not being paid very much for highly intensive work. So you are talking about sort of certified nurses assistants. Exactly. Uh, not necessarily RNs. Um, you know, no, not necessarily RNs, but, mm. you know, RNs did play a big role in this because they tended to supervise. Okay. Um, the uh, the nurses aides, nurse assistants, um, amongst others. Well, and you, it's interesting that you mentioned supervisors because I noticed in your paper you make a difference between managers and employees. So how do managers see this differently than the employees themselves? Managers, you know, felt uh, obligated to uphold the policies of the company, right? The, the mm-hmm. feeling that, you know, they had a responsibility and that didn't necessarily translate into um, what was good for their team. And when you asked managers what they thought of family supportive policies in general, did their answers differ from what the employees themselves said about these policies? Ah, uh, 
you know, in some cases, I know that, you know, the paper is, is very specific, but in some cases, the employees weren't necessarily familiar I with, the, <laughs> with the, um, the workplace policies. And um, there's a big difference, and I'm going to bring this up because there's a big difference between formal and informal policies. So mm-hmm. you have these formal policies that we know are in the manuals, in the books, that managers, you know, are supposed to know when they're going in. And then you have the worker who uh, isn't necessarily familiar with some of those specifics and um, the way in which the managers or supervisors interpret those types of policies may vary. Why would patient care be affected by something like policies for family supportive health? What's the connection there? How does treating an employee one way change how they care for their patients? Because that translates directly into how the employee, if you want to call them that, but how the worker interfaces with the patient. And a patient includes the family. It's a matter of morale. It's also what we found in some of the, in our um, biological findings, was that it was also a matter of health. We had some findings which showed that, you know, creative managers, managers that were supportive of um, flexible work schedules amongst their employees or units, um, had employees who, who had better cardiovascular health outcomes, at least in a cross-sectional mm-hmm. um, setting. Um, but what happens is, you know, when, emp- when these workers, um, you know, start to get, st- to me, stressed, et cetera, it ends up um, translating also into poor health outcomes, which then translate into the number of days, including sick days, that they may take off, um, the, the, their availability for the patients, um, uh, you know, sort of sometimes upheavals in schedules. Um, so you'll find that patients themselves may be seeing different um, uh, caretakers because, you know, people are out sick or people are out, you know, taking care of family. Um, so you lose continuity of care. Losing continuity of care. Uh, you find, uh, you know, this translates into, and some of these other studies have shown, translates into family health as well. So now I'd like to dive in a little bit about what this study actually found. So you found that you were able to measure health outcomes in the patients of some of these employees and track that to the family supportive policies. What were some of those health outcomes for the patients that you found that might be affected by by their healthcare workers' policies? For some, you know, you we noticed... Um, some of the cholesterol and HDL levels were um, much higher. For some with the diabetes outcomes, we noticed that higher sugar levels also. And what about injuries or? Yes, there were higher falls. Um, yeah, this is, um, so they were more likely to fall. Yeah, this was in, um, actually across the board, all of our studies show um, that they were, um, you know, including including the length of recovery there were also you know more you know higher numbers of falls within the employee uh within the patients that were being taken care of and by employees that were highly stressed okay falls and injuries what about bed sores yes bed sores showing that of course that um the uh patients were not being uh, um rotated enough you know not enough care so cleaning etc changing of bedding and other things like that um, can I ask a question, Nathan? Please. We have our producer, Sam Anderson, here who would like to ask a question. Yeah, I was curious, Grace. Do you, um, can you recall like a specific patient that uh, you encountered who might have you know, suffered in care because of a specific worker? Do you have an example or like a personal experience that you can share with us? 
I, you know, I do. I have several. Um, and, uh, you know, without violating HIPAA, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, HIPAA. Yeah, hi there privacy. is the, the healthcare yeah. privacy laws. Yeah. We won't name any names. Uh, no <laughs> names, no locations either. Um, uh, but uh, a couple of these were at at elder care facilities, and then one was at a um, larger um, hospital. Uh, and, uh, you know, very similar situation where um, an individual employee got a call um, to go home mm -hmm. because their child, the person who was supposed to pick up their child, uh, was not going to be able to make it. And their child, the, so it was a school calling saying, the bus driver is going to drop your child, uh, your four-year-old, at the corner, um, and there's nobody there to meet them. So you have to be there in 15 minutes. And the employee was 30 minutes away from home. And so in a panic, you know, <laughs> ran around asking for someone to take over um, and, you know, calling also for someone to come in early or maybe sh trade a shift and nobody would help them. Um, and, you know, and the managers, so for one of these facilities, the managers wanted individuals to take care of their own schedule. So if you have a schedule and you can't show up, you have to find someone to replace you, right? And mm. I don't care just as long as the the spot is filled or that particular um, uh, schedule is is, um, is completed. Yeah. And uh, what happened was this employee just dropped everything and left. Um, and at the time, there was a person, he was, you know, about 80... Um, yeah, uh, almost 80, 81 years old, um, who needed to be sort of changed. And I think we talked about bed sores, but also mm. rotated and cleaned. And he was left there for almost seven hours um, because this employee um, who was on a 10-hour shift had left, uh, right. 10, 12 hour, had left before. And what are the consequences for that for that patient? Uh, that particular patient, um, uh, it really, I mean, it, it, it wasn't too bad because, you know, they did have a few stop-ins, but just in terms of getting their bedpan changed, et cetera, you know, it was fine. But um, the family members, and when you talk about family members and the stress that employees get from family members coming in, and often we talk about family members also as patients mm. um, because they're part of the, the patient unit. The family members were furious, and they couldn't move their the patient right away um, and so they were dependent on this facility and it just became a very stressful situation between the employees and or mm -hmm. patient care workers and the patient and why do you think the workers re refused to cover the shift of this individual who needed to go out and pick up their kid uh, there's a level of bullying, a level of um, what we call um, sort of lay persons of you call like cliques. Mm. And so, you know, if someone is either new to uh, the team or an outcast of some some kind, you know, I, I think it's a negative point in some of these areas because the patient care, the direct patient care workers are the, some of the most giving, some of the most caring individuals uh, you know, toward their patients. Mm. Well, what does the data show in terms of what kind of policies strike the best balance between the needs of the employer and the needs of the employee? Uh, at least if we measure their performance as the outcome, what's the best we can do? I mean, I think the best is, besides what I mentioned, allowing for flexibility in scheduling, but also um, allowing people to have parental leave. You know, we're seeing that even beyond just um, what 
people often see as just maternity leave, but paternity leave, you know, allowing people to take time off for elder care, you know, school. You know, I, I, I know in, in a couple of our studies, we did talk about I- individual employees needing to leave the floor, for instance, to go and take care of a child or to, to get a child out of school. And if their coworkers were not supportive of this, they ended up with a deficit in the unit. And, you know, this, of course, affected the patients on the in those units because policies themselves that come from, you know, federal policy, sometimes state-level policies, are sort of guides to um, improving or to even exceeding some of the sort of basics that are provided at the state and um, federal level. Yeah. And the FMLA, the Family Medical Leave Act, is establishes a very minimum standards, meaning uh, you can go home to care for someone unpaid for a certain amount of time. Is there Are there any other guarantees with FMLA? Besides unpaid leave, uh, you know, from attorney, et cetera, really, no, not much okay. beyond that. So if I can, I'd like to get into a little bit of your methodology. Um, it, how would you connect uh, healthcare outcomes like number of falls or injuries or um, other other healthcare incidents with the family supportive policies for the employees. I mean, there's a lot of compounding variables there. So, what's your what was your strategy in trying to make a connection? Yes, thanks for asking that. I mean, we have a lot of data, um, and this is you know phase two. We had phase one where we took surveys, and in um, social epidemiology, surveys are seen as quantitative ways in which to measure number of falls, to rate an employee's satisfaction, you know, managers, you know, things like that. You can give numbers to things and you can get some information about where either conditions or um, individuals fall on a continuum. You know, this is in the quantitative realm, right? So things we can count or enumerate. But some of the stuff doesn't quite get at how someone is perceiving a condition or perceiving how they're being treated, you know, either in their particular unit or by the coworkers that they are um, in the unit with, or even how they feel patients are reacting. And the same way with patients, right? Um, you know, there are some p- patient satisfaction surveys. Um, they can give us some quantitative or numeric, but those two um, may not necessarily get at some of the uh, descriptives around the number that someone gave. So we needed to have interviews, the qualitative pieces. And for that piece, I really have to credit my colleague because I'm a numbers person. You know, I do numbers all the way. I, you know, statistics, you know, work very, very, you know, very closely with modeling data and statistics. And my colleague um, doesn't do modeling. Um, She does, uh, you know, sort of interviews, key informant interviews, uh, focus groups. So focus groups where you can have groups of people who also feed off each other and give information and descriptions and, you know, sort of maybe uh, place a, a fabric into an environment, you know, so they can give you some idea of what really is happening behind the, you know, the glossy, you know, veneer or outside piece. So let me ask you, what's what's next for you, either on this topic or a related one? What What's your next question? How are you pushing further? You know, so my focus is primarily on the stress components. And I feel as if, you know, policies, 
um, workplace policies, the, the disconnect between work and home, right? So we have the environmental factors as well. And then you have a stress level within that's measured within an employee will affect these outcomes in both the patient um, outcomes, uh, the individual level outcomes, and other things. So some are looking at cost-benefit analyses for, you know, the work site and industry. And I feel like, you know, if we can just capture that particular stress um, indicator, um, it can actually be an area where I don't necessarily intervene, but we can indicate long before, uh, you know, we start to see, when we see changes in the stressors within the individual um, we can maybe do something long before we start to see some of the adverse effects later on in the All patient right. care population. Well, we'll look forward to, to hearing the results of that work uh, when it's completed. Um, I think that's all the time we have for today, but uh, I want to remind our listeners that the title of this paper is Supporting Employees' Work-Family Needs Improves Healthcare Quality, Longitudinal Evidence from Long-Term Care. And this paper and some other supplementary material will be available on our website, um, and I want to thank Professor Grayson Bajway for, uh, for talking with us today. Thank you very much. All right. This has been This World of Humans. I'm Nathan Lutz. This has been another episode of This World of Humans, a podcast and science education initiative currently funded by John Jay College, the City University of New York, and Vision Learning. For science educators, don't forget to check out our website for a wealth of resources to help integrate this episode and its featured article into your science classroom. Find us at visionlearning.com slash TWOH.